Hey everyone, I'm your host Piers Kicks and welcome back to Metaverse Musings, which is a research-focused podcast that's part of Delphi Digital. We explore the integral components behind what many believe will be the internet's successor, a virtual extension of the natural world where most of us will eventually live, work and play. To some, it represents our next great milestone as a network species, and to others, it is something to fear. With our guests, we discuss the technology, philosophy and culture behind this brave new world. If you're not yet subscribed to the Delphi Research Portal, then I fear for your soul. You're missing out on the most incisive analysis that the digital asset space has to offer. Seriously, check it out. Nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any security or token or to make any financial decisions. This podcast features sponsors and any ads are not an endorsement by Delphi Digital and are for informational purposes only. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Metaverse Musings. I'm delighted to introduce you guys today to Dan from Ecomi. Dan, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having us on today. Could you please start us off by as simply as possible telling us what Ecomi is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, Ecomi was set up around three years ago, um, looking to explore opportunities in the blockchain space. Uh, my, myself and my business partner are serial entrepreneurs. And after buying our first Bitcoin, we, we, we became absolutely enamored with, you know, with blockchain and the opportunity. Um, and from there, just started to kick off two products, which are one of which is our uh, secure wallet, the hardware cold storage wallet for digital assets, and Vivi, our digital collectible app. Wicked. Could you, could you um, kind of provide some color on what exactly motivated you to opt to build a, I guess, a wallet and B, the kind of collectible experience? What was it that uh, attracted you to applying this technology in that capacity? Mm. So, yeah, when we started the company, uh, you know, there were a number of different areas that, uh, you know, what we could have explored in the blockchain crypto space, you know, everything. I think back then, you know, the main, the main pillars were mining, uh, exchanges, um, and wallets. And at the time, we, we sort of felt that, you know, the, obviously the mining was very, very hardware intensive and expensive, likewise with exchanges. And we had some great opportunities with some, uh, in the wallet space with some, uh, by, by purchasing a, a part of a, a company that produces the, the hardware wallet that we, that we have today. Um, and yeah, that was really just, you know, our first sort of step or like an exploration into the, uh, in, into the crypto space with the wallet. And then from there, um, you know, I think it was about maybe it was a year later, Crypto Kitties came out, and you know, at the time, um, it was everything was blowing up. And then my business partner David, he's he's been in the licensing world for for quite a long time, and we sort of just at that point realized that we could potentially create something very disruptive in in the collectible world, not not only the crypto world, but in the collectible industry. Um, that could be an entirely new way to collect and a very, very exciting new way to collect. And, you know, really the company sort of started from there, or sorry, Vivi started from there around two and a half years ago. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a journey and a half, that's for sure. Um, you know, number one was on the licensing side. At the beginning, the licensors were sort of like, you know, digital what, that they really had no idea what it was. Um, and then, you know, back then, two, two odd years ago, or maybe three years ago now, bringing up blockchain, you know, didn't go down well with anyone because it was sort of like, you know, known as that Bitcoin scam. So it was very, very challenging to get a lot of the licensors across the line. But, you know, we're very tenacious people. <clears throat> and so we just kept going back and back. Um, 
And uh, as, as we went back, we showed them the product had developed more and more and just, you know, made them more comfortable with what we were developing. And then in the end, we managed to um, yep, secure, uh, as, as of today, we've secured more than 100 brands. Um, so, yeah, very, very excited to, to have these people on board and to, you know, bring their content into this digital space. Absolutely. That's a pretty, pretty serious uh, sort of IP pipeline you got there. Um, obviously, it's also really exciting. I saw you guys recently sort of trending in the App Store, which is always always a good sign um, around the actual app, which is built around the sort of collectibles experience. Could you uh, give those listening a bit more color on what your collectible experience actually looks like? Um, I know a while back you guys uh, we were on a call with uh, Anil from Delphi and I and um, gave us a pretty wicked demo, which I was uh, super excited about. So uh, it would be wicked if you could give some color on, on, on what you've actually built. Uh, so yeah, for us, as I mentioned earlier, the 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 approach that we wanted to take was really to develop a product for collectors, um, you know, which is a very different audience from uh, the, um, the your, your crypto collector, and you know, this is an industry that is uh, the collectible industry is three hundred billion dollars, you know, per annum, and uh, you know, there are certain trends and activities that that really makes this physical world of collecting tick. So, um, you know, for us, I, I sort of put put the all of the products out there right now into two different categories. You know, number one is that we've got kind of the eBay of digital collectibles, which is like your nifty gateways, your super rare portion, OpenSea, for example. Um, and those guys do a fantastic job at, you know, buy, sell, trade amongst users. Um, whereas with, uh, with Vivi, re- what we've really tried to create is Disneyland. For, for collectors. So uh, in addition to having the, um, you know, the eBay for digital collectibles built within VV, um, we also wanted to add an entire collector experience around that. And that's one of the main reasons that, you know, we chose to go 3D over 2D, you know, in, in this physical world of collecting that we're in now, if I love Batman, I want to go and buy a Batman statue that I can put on my desk or put in my room. And it was really important for us to, to to transition that experience into the digital space. So we've added, um, you know, a whole bunch of features around the actual buy and sell of collectibles, which include the ability to view them in augmented reality. Um, you know, we can take photos and videos, and we're just we're seeing thousands of people post these videos across, you know, social channels, having a lot of fun, uh, you know, setting up little scenes with their Batman or, or whatever. Um, and, and then uh, in addition to that, we have social feeds built into the app because, you know, a lot of collecting is around bragging rights where, you know, I managed to get that that low edition number or that secret rare. Um, and then even extending to other features like virtual showrooms. Um, it, you know, if, if you're a collector or any if anyone listening knows a collector, they will undoubtedly have a shelf or a room in their house where they've, you know, passionately displayed their collectibles. And it was very important for us to translate that into the digital space as well. So uh, for all of our users can set up as many virtual showrooms as they want, and they can drop and place and position their their collectibles wherever they want in those showrooms. Um, And in a future update uh, coming out quite soon, you'll be able to add a whole lot of different furniture in there, whether it's shelves or pedestals or uh, you know anything like that to allow the user to really customize and create this these virtual showrooms, uh, which of course are completely shareable with any other um, VV user. So I can go and have a look around your showroom. You can come and have a look around mine, um, and it really creates this kind of um, you know connection between 
between what the collectors are doing. That's that's super neat. And um, David, I believe uh, you've joined us since we we uh, we kicked off. So um, welcome aboard. And uh, I guess the next question I'll ask is is, is more geared towards you. Um, Dan mentioned you had a background already in, in kind of um you know as sort of the, the licensing component. Um, so we're kind of curious what's different about your approach and mentality that kind of um you know allowed you guys to see and also execute upon this opportunity. Yeah, so I've been the retail gaming and licensing for 25 years. So quite a strong background from 96, 97, very physical driven content. So originally I bought in the Pokemon cards, Warhammer, Yu-Gi-Oh, Magic the Gathering to New Zealand, including Dungeons Dragons. Um, so I have a retail store network. I own and operate and distribute products across international and you know, four years ago, I started to realize that my entire business is in the forefront of going to digital one way or another. You have trading card company or popping up with digital trading cards. And it was that moment that I felt that the blockchain technology could be the best use in having these authentications uh, for brands and for content. Um, so using that background, uh, we basically approach all the network that I have built up in the past 25 years and basically went out, uh, like Dan had mentioned, that we went out to all the licensed stores, the studios, try to do collabs, try to pick up license right. Uh, and, you know, at, at the start, these companies, you can imagine they have hundreds of years combined of great IPs but they all come from a very physical driven, you know, traditional toy manufacturing licensing proposal. So going into the licensing on the digital approach, uh, it was like, uh, you can own this through digital and we can have ownership and people can see and transfer. So what we had to do is to really bring that physical, emotional collecting and collectors uh, driven, what I call it the second secret, where I really believe that everyone in their heart, they, they are fan of something. It, we're in the fandom economy. And what we really wanted to do is to see how we can get that emotional trigger from that physical content into the digital. So allowing that AI aspect, uh, Dan have talked about, you know, the the whole app walking in the showroom, the whole fun aspect and to get community involved was it was a key part. And like any collector and any industry you're in the collecting comic, toys, figurine, people love to display these around them. They love love to be surrounded by them. So we wanted to create that immersed world where people can take these figures, take the toys that collecting or these piece of artwork that you, you could own virtually into that showroom. And that aspect was a major connection for me from being physical content and how we deliver that into the digital realm. That's super neat. Could you, could you also give a quick overview of um, the sort of types of IP you were talking about here? Uh, I know obviously a, a bunch of those are still in the pipeline and under wraps, but just so people listening have an idea about the, uh, you know, the types of content and collectibles that are already on the platform. Yeah, uh, so we uh, we focus uh, quite mainly into 
you know, four or five different categories, including like sports. Uh, we have uh, animation, gaming content, and all your evergreen characters. So uh, we're moving from, you know, IP from Universal, something that we're working quite close right now is like uh, Back to the Future. You know, we have Jurassic Park moving into DC. DC is a, you know, a superhero market going across from Wonder Woman, Harley Quinn's to your Batman's. And we have earlier, you know, product for earlier young teens. So we have Tokidoki, for example, as a beautiful artist collections of artwork and characters and cartoon work and then we're moving into we got star trek on board and you know in coming months you'll be seeing some of these spaceships that you could own and purchase uh, recently we struck a deal with gm so a lot of these concept cards will be coming out uh, we're working uh, closely with the nflpa so we'll be starting to bring in nfl players into the round and you know we we move from this these categories and more importantly is how we can translate these brands and bring it to the consumer and let them understand and let them walk through that experience you know the ar aspect of our business is really about letting the brand owners engage with their fans and seeing that figure seeing that vehicle into a one-to-one scale where their fans can walk around and really enjoy that immerse that it's right in front of you and bringing back and we're moving into other gaming categories so we have capcom on board so we bring we're going to be bringing up monster hunter that's going to be a huge ip on the zone mm-hmm. but saying that we're also going back to the old classic stuff you know something myself and dan grew up we got Fultron coming in for you know that so we got a, a, about a hundred uh, plus brands on our book basically it will be rolling out in 2021 to you know the next four or five years worth of content coming that's amazing and, and, and um, I'm also curious so obviously there was a big education process you trying to explain the nature of these digital collectibles I assume the blockchain component was also an uphill battle in terms of explanation um, but uh, could you give some kind of kind of the monetization model behind this um, and you know how yeah that kind of fits with those brands as well yeah uh, the blockchain definitely uh, was a hurdle to to get through. I mean, we probably, me and Dan, we always joke about it. We should really drop the word blockchain when we go to these meetings. But, you know, the the importance of this technology cannot be underpinned and undermined. And, you know, the underpin of this blockchain going forward allows property owners to monetize continuously in different ways where they will never had an opportunity to do through digital and, you know, increasingly you have seen and audience have seen, consumer have experienced digital artworks are coming in. Um, you know, there's talks about music coming into this uh, through the NFT. So the monetization for us, uh, number one is it's all authenticated. As you know, there's no, every single unit we sell through digital, it's all being counted through the blockchain. Unlike the physical world, uh, you might have manufacturer who potentially could cheat their license or out by 
manufacturing X more amount without knowing. So everything on the blockchain is uh, traceable, the quantity, the authenticity, every trade, every sale. Uh, we allow licensors to have after-sale clicks on it. For example, if a digital artist wants to come on board and wish to have an X amount of transaction percentage reserved for him or her after the primary sale and the auctions in the secondary market, this technology allows that. So when, when it comes to monetization and split, it's very, very clean and cut down and split with different artists and property owners. Perfect. Yeah. And, and then um, I'm also curious around uh, you guys are building on top of Ethereum, um, you know, as, as you guys kind of grow in terms of user base and whatnot. Um, curious how you guys are thinking about the scalability aspects as well and what you've looked at in terms of solutions there. Um, yeah, so we're on the GoChain network at the moment, um, which is a fork of Ethereum. And, uh, you know, a couple of years ago when we were looking into the into the blockchain providers, um, they were a very good choice because they had, uh, you know, high TPS, very, very low fees. Um, and, and obviously around that time, everyone had sort of seen and witnessed what had happened with CryptoKitties on the Ethereum network. So for us, it was very important to ensure that, you know, if we had traffic equal to, if not even greater than CryptoKitties, um, the platform would be able to handle it. And the fact that we are bringing on uh, you know, brands like Batman, Superman, Ghostbusters that have millions and millions of followers, um, we, we sort of anticipated that this this could likely be a problem. So uh, in the beginning, we started off uh, with GoChain for this reason, and we also built our system in a little bit of a hybrid uh, kind of way. So we, we could make sure that, um, uh, you know, all of the user's information was protected. And just to give you an example of that, uh, you know, right now in the platform, um, for the majority of our users, we host the private key for the NFTs. And the reason for this is that, um, you know, the non-crypto person is, it's too, there's too much of a risk if they have a, a highly valuable collection within the app, but they don't really know about crypto. They don't understand, you know, about the private keys. Um, there's, there, was, there could be a potential that they might lose that, um, lose that access. And we felt that that might reflect badly on, on our company, on the user experience. So we opted to go for this hybrid model. Um, however, you know, in the past few years, the obviously the technology landscape has changed quite dramatically when it comes to, to crypto and blockchain. Uh, it's viewed significantly more credible now. And uh, there are a number of, of players in the space that, that specialize more towards NFTs. And um, yeah, we're, we're looking at all of the options out there. Um, and, and also to add to that, <clears throat> you know, one of the big questions we often get is around the interoperability of our of our collectibles. And they are uh, right now we due to our licensing restrictions, the, the experience has to remain within Vivi. However, this year we have licensors coming on board that uh, already just want to go basically straight to interoperability. Um, and in order to do that, you, we need to make sure that whatever chain we select, um, you know, there is a degree of that interoperability there. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, and I think, uh, I think that's a really exciting aspect too. I think, um, you know, obviously Fortnite is, is the example that's often referenced in terms of IP mashups, right? Where the brands don't necessarily have 
uh, control over the sort of editorial experience. And I guess there's a you know strong parallel there with what we're going to see as and when the interoperability emerges around the stuff you guys are building. Um, but yeah, super super excited to see what comes from that. I think you know the um, user created or third party developer created kind of experiences to build around these sort of assets. So like one of the really attractive aspects of all of this to me. So um, yeah, very eager to see how all of that evolves. Um, in, and then I'm curious, um, are there any other, I mean, I mean, it sounds like obviously things are, have had to be reasonably sort of controlled so far, but curious if there are any other projects you're excited about that are kind of uh, leveraging or building upon uh, what you guys are assembling around Vivi already? Uh, yeah, I mean, coming out this year, obviously what the, the product that we have released now is is version one, um, and it already is quite rich in terms of its its feature set. And, you know, moving forward this year, we will be expanding on all of the functionality that we have right now. So, you, so uh, you know, users can anticipate that we will have, um, you know, greater opportunities when in augmented reality. Uh, Piers, I'm pretty sure that we've, we've already shown you, um, uh, yeah, the interactive DeLorean. And there's a couple of videos floating mm -hmm. out there around that. And that's, you know, really want, where we want to be aiming with, the, with our collectibles in the future, that they are they're interactive. You know, you know. Imagine you can just drop a Batman on the floor uh, in augmented reality. It has built-in walk cycle, run cycle, all his special moves. Can do powers. Um, you know, we're looking to integrate things like lidar right now, where you know it'll give the uh, our, our AR character the ability to interact with the room that the user is in in a much better way. Um, obviously, with lidar, it allows allows the phone to scan the room, and from that, it can build up a three D three D world. And then with that data, um, the, the the digital collectible or digital toy can then interact with that. So, for example, I could have you know Batman at one foot one foot tall running along my floor. He might get to the you know to the couch in the living room, and, and then because it would know the couch is there, uh, it would be able to scale up it and then walk around it. So that there's there's going to be huge improvements in uh, in that side of the the AR space. And, uh, and the, and the interact, interactive side of things. Now, when, when it comes to showrooms, um, you know, we're, we're seeing a ton of engagement in these showrooms. And as I mentioned earlier, we have uh, features rolling out um, this year, which includes the ability to, you know, really turn these showrooms into your own virtual space. I mean, uh, you know, in this day and age, everyone has, uh, you know, an on-screen version of themselves, whether that's their Instagram channel or their Facebook channel, um, you know, where I can go and learn a little bit about you and you can share everything. And right now, you know, the users don't have that in a, in a 3D representation. But given how where the world is moving, you know, with wearable devices coming out, we really believe that these 3D spaces are going to be a, a very big part of the future. And for us, it's, uh, you know, we want to give the user the option to create their ultimate fan cave. Um, and, you know, that might include you want to drop some plants in there, you want to drop some couches, um, you know, it, really, there's a whole range of, of objects and items that uh, users can add in there. And in addition to that, um, we have a whole library of uh, of props, whether that's, you know, urban, uh, like like dumpsters and street signs and footpaths, or maybe it's natural, which could be trees, rocks, landscape. And the whole idea here is to give the user a range of, of props and accessories that they can then use to build up their own dioramas. You know, you might want to have Batman versus versus the Joker, and you might want to create your own little scene that you can then place in your showroom and, and share with other people in augmented reality. 
Um, <clears throat> on top of that, uh, you know, we have um, some new features coming out like the Viviverse, which is really an expansion on, uh, on some of the features that I've spoken about. Uh, you know, again, really moving people into these virtual worlds, into these meta worlds. So I'll be very excited to talk about that uh, again a little bit later in the year when we uh, have, have more information to talk about that. Um, so, yeah, really, it's just about expanding on the properties that we have, expanding on the features that we have. Um, and we are excited to be bringing out this year some some completely new forms of, of digital collectibles. Super exciting. Uh, I think there's some really, really interesting functionality in there. I love the, uh, the LiDAR incorporation. I think that will uh, lead to some, some super, some super neat stuff. Um, switching gears a bit and, and kind of looking at um, some of the stuff uh, more broadly out there in the ecosystem. So it seems pretty clear to my mind that you guys have had quite a sort of pragmatic approach to this technology. Um, but uh, I'm curious if you had to distill the core value proposition of NFTs into just a few sentences, uh, you know, in the context that you guys use them, what would they be? You know, really, I guess uh, an NFT can apply to anything. I mean, you know, for me, if I was to put it into, into a sentence, it's really that, you know, it's an item that someone will pay whatever they, they desire for it. Um, you know, David always has a really good example in, in the sense of these sort of non-fungible tokens that if, if you're a fan of Superman, um, you know, you might go, you, you might pay anything you, you, you can to get a number one edition of that Superman comic. But if you're not a fan of Superman or comics, then, you know, you're not going to pay $50,000 or whatever the asking price is. So, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, really that's what it comes down to for us, just creating a new type of asset class um, that, that is uh, in, in this collectible industry. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I actually like that angle, um, you know, that these things are inherently subjective um, and that you're always going to find this mm. super fans that they appeal to. And, it, you know, it allows brands to kind of capture uh, that, you know, maybe top percentile or whatever um, of, of, of super fans around it. Uh, I definitely think in the license in, in the license collectible space, that makes a ton of sense. Um, I'm curious if uh, there are any kind of other applications of NFTs that you guys are excited about, despite being so far down the uh, collectibles rabbit hole. Yeah, I mean, our, our core business is, is around the collectibles, uh, including uh, fine arts. You know, we've got a number of artists that are coming on board the platform this year. Um, so I wouldn't say that we're, we're looking at any other extended functionality at this stage other than, you know, really offering the ability for, for this digital content, this digital art to enter into this, you know, this kind of new space. Um, I guess, you know, we might build in certain features into into our uh, NFTs. Like, for example, some of the things that we're considering now is, you know, with the DeLorean, you know, maybe every time it changes hands, you have the option to update the number plate. And maybe that can only happen kind of 10 times. Uh, there, there is a lot of, you know, extra sort of Easter eggs or depth that we can add in with a, with a digital collectible that may not be available in the in the physical world so that's probably more the angle that we will we will tackle it mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense um and then i'm curious i mean <clears throat> obviously you mentioned this lidar integration and some of the other kind of uh features that you want to introduce to this collectible experience uh, around the sort of ar ar component too but um, what are some of the interesting longer term ideas you guys have discussed around how these things might evolve? Um, and this could be, you know, much further down the road and mm. incorporate things like AR glasses and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, curious, curious what you guys have thought about there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
you know, so we're really firm believers in the, you know, the coming digital wave or the or the 3D wave, the virtual worlds. Um, it may seem, you know, fairly far out, but the reality is all the major companies now are working on on wearable devices. Uh, obviously, there's, you know, massive rumors about what, what Apple's working on. We know a lot of the other big players are working on these wearable devices. So, you know, one of the pathways that we think is, is highly probable is over the next three to five years, um, our phones will eventually be essentially replaced with these wearable devices and we'll be, uh, we'll be living in a, in a sort of merger of the digital and the real world. And at that point, when that happens, um, you know, what are people going to want to see in these worlds? It's digital items. And while I believe that there will be a plethora of, you know, free 3D content you can download and all that stuff, um, there will still be a huge demand, or, and I would say even a, even a more increasing demand for rare and limited digital items um, that people can use and sort of show off in this space. That's that, that's quite far down the line. That's that's really sort of the end goal. You know, we're talking moving into Ready Player One kind of uh, worlds. Um, however, between now and then, um, <clears throat> some of our goals, you know, really are around the augmented reality. And, uh, you know, as I've discussed, we have a lot of these interactive collectibles coming out. And uh, one of our main goals will be uh, to be introducing multi-user uh, experiences into these. So just to give you an example, let's say I have a, Batmo- I have a Batmobile and uh, you have a DeLorean. Um, you know, we, we can perhaps be in the same place or we could be in different parts of the world, but I, we can both drop our cars in a shared augment, augmented reality environment. Um, maybe we drop in some sort of road cones and we set up our own track and, you know, we can then interact together just, you know, by racing around. Um, you know, this could also be likened to the fact that, say, for example, um, you know, Street Fighter, I drop my, you know, my character in AR, you drop your character in AR. And then we can have sort of some fights or you know some kind of interactivity between the between the content. Um, and in addition to that, you know, part of the features that we're also bringing out uh, in the showrooms in the future is uh, things like mini games. So you know, again, using the example of the of the two race cars, uh, rather dropping them in AR, I might be able to buy a a really cool racing track that I can drop in my virtual showroom. I can then drop you know, two of whatever vehicles that I might have. Um, and then I could invite you in to, you know, to basically have a race with me. So you'd both be in my showroom. And, and again, this could be all, you know, via the phone, via the desktop um, or an augmented reality. And within within my showroom, we can play some games like, you know, race the cars and there might be a live leaderboard in the middle. Um, a lot of this kind of interactivity in, in a, I guess it's kind of like a sandbox environment or an open world, you know, into which you can fully customize, invite your friends, uh, you know, play games, interact, um, you know, even even introducing music and, you know, some kind of visuals uh, into the room. So really about expanding on, on sort of what we're doing now and increasing that functionality. Mm, it's super interesting, all of that. And, and I'm curious... Um... Obviously, there's a bunch of collectibles in there and people will be drawn in because, uh, you know, it's IP that they love and it's uh, characters from, you know, they've grown up with or whatever. But um seems like the sort of uh, environment that you're designing for these things to be deployed in and the way you're thinking about the AR component also lends itself really nicely to, you know, custom avatars and people being able to, like, express themselves, um, you know, however they want in these environments, too. 
Um, I'm curious, maybe David, if you could touch upon if, if you have any plans around that side of things about whether there'll be uh, you know greater capacity for sort of um, self-expression, not just uh, that of the existing IP in these worlds, because it sounds like what you're setting up is, uh, you know, could perfectly accommodate that. Yeah, definitely. Um, as you've probably seen, the, the whole world's become more social. I mean, everyone's posting things on Instagram, TikTok, or uh, your Facebook. Um, what we have added in about a week ago is the photo editing uh, section. And I think we just are adding a new feature where you can overtype, put text, express yourself, uh, make your own, uh, you know, meme out of it. Uh, you know, people grow up with these IP, as you mentioned, uh, throughout their lifetime. You know, they always uh, immerse to the characters that they love or grow up with watching. And now it's really an opportunity for these, you know, characters come to your life. And the beauty is, you know, you can take a 3D uh, photo with it in any angle. Um, you know, the other day I was trying it out in the harbor here, having one of the Harley print floating above the water uh, on its, uh, you know, flying stick. So there, there's an immersed world of ways to share and one, one of the great thing of what we are experiencing and we're seeing a lot happening is that families are becoming involved. You know, these IPs that uh, some of us have grown up with, uh, I have friends now share that IP, same interest with their kids. And when, when they're out there, they take photos and they post it as part of their family in some of these photos that we're seeing through. So it's, it's really great to see different ways of people express themselves and using the app in, in a different utility way, uh, apart from just speculating on the NFT, on the pricing, as we have seen a lot of these NFT artwork or moments has been going, you know, up in price. Uh, you know, there's other utility functions that what Vivi really wants to bring into in this uh, world. Absolutely, that's um, <clears throat> super interesting. Uh, I, I'd be curious, um, you know, a question for either of you, really, whoever wants to jump in, but um, what's one thing that you guys have kind of learned along this crypto journey uh, that you wish you had known when you were starting out? Oh, um, well, there's, there's, it, there's hundreds of them. Um, this whole blockchain world just moves in so fast, uh, not just the technology. I mean, at the start of it, when we got into the industry, uh, everyone was competing on how fast the protocol, how many transactions per second. And myself and Dan, we always knew we're going to be in the blockchain uh, business where we're going to be tying it with an IP. So for, for us, everyone looked at us as, you know, more of a utility to a protocol. So it's taken a long time and, you know, surely two and a half years, three years down the road, now NFT has uh, come about and, you know, we're going through a cycle where uh, we really believe it's a good practical use in real life for uh, blockchain technology adoption. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that, um, that leads me on kind of nicely. I think, you know, the angle of attack that you guys are taking, uh, striking those partnerships with large IP holders and, you know, um, 
sort of streamlining the delivery mechanism for bringing them bringing them into this whole new digital blockchain based age, uh, and also constructing a, a wicked environment, you know, for those things to be deployed in um, is is a pretty neat uh, sort of path to adoption. You know, I, I can really see how that's going to draw in uh, the super fans at first, but then as you know, your catalog of IP uh, grows, it will. Yeah, sort of massively expand the reach and the amount of people that you're drawing into the space. So I'm um, su- super interested to see that. Um, I'm curious if you, uh, if Dan, you wanted to, to, to give any comments around that, um, around, uh, yeah, the, the sort of path to adoption here and how you guys an- anticipate this playing out. Um, as I say, you guys were trending on the App Store recently, which is always exciting, but I'm um, curious what the, uh, what the road ahead looks like to your mind. Uh, yeah, sorry, I didn't really hear what David said, so hopefully I'm not 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 repeating. Um, I guess really, you know, from from my point of view, it's uh, number one is just bringing uh, awareness to this digital collectible space. You know, luckily there has been uh, you know a number of other players into the market that's that that has made our job considerably easier because they are sort of doing a lot of the uh, you know there's been a lot of press out there about nfts and and you know this new digital art it's hit the mainstream now um, you know you find news across cnbc so uh, you know the exciting thing is, is that it's um uh uh, this space is is growing massively, and I just I, I feel that we are quite well positioned to you know really take advantage of the of the opportunity, especially in this uh, in the kind of collectible world that we are participating in. Absolutely, yeah, um, su- super excited for for all that comes. Um, headed into the closing questions here, I'm uh, curious from both of you. Um, I usually ask what is your favorite video game ever, but I feel I have a suspicion that that uh, you know around the collectible side might be just as appropriate. So I'm curious if uh, David, you want to go first, and and then Dan jump in. Well, I'm a huge DC Batman fan, um, so you know I've been watching <laughs> that grow up with it. Uh, first Batman '89. I'm looking forward to the 1966 Batmobile coming out on VV. I'd love to hear it. And uh, and what about you, Dan? Uh, favorite video game? I mean, to be honest, I, I'm actually spend most of my time twenty four seven, you know, working and, and growing the business. So I don't have too much uh, time to play games. Um, however, you know, I do love to stream. You know, to watch watch other people playing. Um, yeah, and in terms of like, uh, yeah, favorite collectible. Um, yeah, to be honest, it, it literally changes from from month to month as we bring out something new, cool, something new and cool. Like it becomes my my favorite new one. Like obviously, right now, my favorite is the um, is the DeLorean, uh, which I'm very very excited to be bringing out. Uh, you know, in the next next sort of few weeks, hopefully. But yeah, it's uh, for me, it really changes <laughs> from uh, month to month at the moment. Love it. Always in constant flux, as our old pal Heraclitus said. Um, Dan, starting with you on this one then, beyond sort of video games or whatever, I'm curious what the most impactful digital experience you've ever had is. Hmm. Um, I mean, I guess I've been in technology my whole career, um, you know, even from the, my, the first business I started back in the late 90s, which was web development. Uh, and back then, you know, there was none of the tools that we use today. Everything was coded by hand, HTML, 56K dial-up. Um, so I wouldn't say there's really been anything 
sort of pivotal for me. Um, I, I guess if I did have to put a, a stake in the sand, it was would be you know when I was a young younger kid uh, in the in the 90s, and the internet started to become accessible for um, you know the masses. That that was obviously a huge pivotal point. You know, it, it kind of set me off on on my career of uh, web and software development and UI and UX, and ultimately led me to to where I was today. Um, uh, so yeah, yeah, I wouldn't say for me personally, there was there is a key pivotal. It's just really been a, an integral part of my life for the past 24, 25 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, and David, what about you? The most impactful digital experience you've ever had? I, I do have to be a bit biased here. Um, the best experience for me has to be our VBF, the the you know, something that we really want to do is to build this product to be a mass market. And this whole, we really believe this augmented reality um, or mixed reality, we call it, is going to come to life in a way where I want to come home and maybe use my phone or my wearboard device, put it on, and I can see all my digital collectibles surrounded by me, all things, artwork in another dimension. We really believe that uh, for for me, very impactful is I'm a I'm a huge collector. Um, I wasn't sure if Dan mentioned it to you. I love collecting things. My whole house is full of toys, comic book, everything what you have for the last twenty five years. And I'm running a room, so I need to have this digital, <laughs> this whole mixed reality around me to bring it to another dimension. But most importantly, it's, it has to be mobile. Has to be easy. You know, I, I don't want it to put on a, you know, a 2kg battery pack and back of my pack and walk around and see things. I want it to be there available at any one time. Sure. I love that. I think that's uh, absolutely wonderful. You're, you're running out of room and base reality, so you're going to have to tap into uh, artificial dimensions to fit all your collectibles in. That's a, an excellent problem yeah. to have. Um, <laughs> And then, um, yeah, finally, uh, Dan, if you want to go first, out of all the books you've ever read, which one has resonated with you the most? Uh, <clears throat> the one, another great question. Um, there are a few up there. I'd probably say, you know, one of the last books that I read that was most influential on me uh, was a book called Bold by Peter Diamantis. Um, <clears throat> you know, it just, it really painted a, uh, a more promising future of, of where we are now, you know, which is that a lot of people think there's, you know, a lot of things wrong with the world and don't get me wrong, there is, but we actually live in a time right now where, uh, you know, everyone has the most of, of anything they've wanted throughout history. Um, and I guess it just made me, <clears throat> you know, quite grateful to realize that, you know, we really are standing on, on the shoulders of everyone that's come before us. Um, and, you know, we live in a very prosperous world and, you know, really most people have the opportunity to, to make the decisions and, and, and choose the life that they want. Um, and I think that's just a very, very powerful message that there, that there are tools and resources out there now. You know, I mean, even you can jump on YouTube and learn, you know, anything you want. Um, and, and to be honest, that's how I've got through most of my career, you know, turning to YouTube or turning to the internet. Um, and then the, I'd probably say the second one, if I can, um, I can't quite remember the, the name of it. It was by um, Peter Thiel. Uh, and he was talking about um, that, you know, when new technology uh, comes uh, comes out, Zero and this, one, this is perfectly, 
Yes, that's exactly the one, zero to one, yeah. It always starts off very technical, but when that technology hits the mainstream or becomes available to the mainstream is when you've wrapped a beautiful UI around it and it becomes very, very simple for the user to to use. And that's exactly the philosophy and the approach that we've, we've taken with Vivi in the sense that all of that tech is behind the scenes. You're still interacting with blockchain, with token, with NFTs, but to the non-crypto user, you know, they really have no idea that's going on. So th- those two have been quite influential on, on me and, and my career and my sort of outlooks on life. Mm-hmm. Sure, two, uh, two great books. And I'd like to echo the appreciation also for, uh, you know, the point in human history that we do live in. I think uh, it's easy for people to get hung up on stuff at the moment, but uh, the bigger picture is pretty rosy on the whole. I think uh, it's a pretty, pretty good time to be alive and exploring all this stuff. So, um, yeah, all good fun. Um, and David, how about you? The most resonant book you've ever read? Yeah, so I have a couple books that we've been reading through this couple of years. One, I remember is the biz scaling. And it's really, you know, learning how to take the company from nothing and scale into this uh, massive viral effect and how to, you know, take control. Uh, another book that I'm currently going through is one from The Right of a Lifetime from uh, Bob Iger from ex-CEO and current chairman of the Disney Corporation. You know, just the intense experience he's gone through transforming, building international parks. There's something that our business, um, it's, as we go global, I mean, the app is worldwide. Most of the license that we have signed are worldwide and understanding how we can scale that business as well as how to take, you know, creative leadership, you know, get our team involved. This whole business, what we are doing is fandom. And you you really need to have a team that really understand the collectible business aspect as well as the technology of it. And, you know, the creativity that we need to be immersed into this is quite a key part of our success. Collectors, they're going to know when you miss one little light or little dent in that collectible or that makeup just doesn't look like the character that they're known of on screen or from the comic book. So, you know, understanding all that and how to create these teams and team building, it's, you know, we, it's a continued journey learning and two great books are highly recommended. Awesome. Uh, yeah, no, thank you for that. Definitely, definitely check those out. Um, well, guys, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate the pair of you making the time to come on and talk us through where you're at. Sounds like there's plenty of exciting activity going on. Um, for those listening that want to follow along with Ecomi, with Vivi, and with your wallet, um, where's the best place to find you guys and, and, and track everything? Uh, probably best to just head over to akomi.com. Uh, on there, you can find links to our Telegram, uh, our Medium, uh, links to the VB website, Secure Wallet website. So that would be the best point of call. Excellent. Well, once again, thank you both very much for joining uh, for joining us. And um, yeah, I look forward to uh, staying in touch and seeing how things evolve. Thanks for having us on. Thanks so much. Really appreciate you having us on.